When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And folks, Taylor and I wanted to open today's episode by first and foremost sending our thoughts to the Buffalo Fire Department, who lost one of their own today after fighting a very scary fighter on the 700 block of Main Street. The fire broke this morning, covering downtown with smoke, and as the day went on, we unfortunately learned that a firefighter had passed away in the efforts to extinguish the fire. Our hearts are with the firefighter's family and loved ones and the entire Buffalo Fire Department Buffalo has endured, the communities of Buffalo, I should say, have endured a wide range of tragedies over this past year affecting folks throughout a variety of parts of the city. And while we are a resilient community, I think we're also one that just quite frankly deserves a break a little bit. Uh, This is just an all around horrible situation. So we just wanted to say that we're sending our best to any listeners who are a part of the Buffalo Fire Department or are connected with the individual who had passed away. And we want you to know that we're thinking of you and sending our best and are grateful that the work you do for our community. Very well said. All right. Well, with that being said, we'd like to welcome everyone to our trade deadline episode. If you've been a listener to the pod in years past, you know that every year, the episode that falls right before the trade deadline, we dedicate the entire episode to talking about what moves the Sabres might be in on, what we want them to be in on, and analyzing moves throughout the league. There have been tons of huge moves throughout this week so far, and I would say, in fact, it's probably fair to say that this is one of the most eventful trade deadlines ever, but we'll get to that after we get to the Sabres portion of the episode. So with that being said, let's get to it, Taylor. The Sabres, the big news of the day is that they missed out on the Jacob Checker and sweepstakes as he was dealt to Ottawa on Wednesday evening. We will get to that in a moment once we talk through the Sabres' two moves that they actually did make this week. First, earlier in the week, the Sabres traded forward prospect Josh Bloom to the Vancouver Canucks for defenseman Riley Stillman. Stillman is 24 years old and signed through next season. He has 23 points in 140 NHL games with Florida, Chicago, and Vancouver. He has five assists in 32 games with Vancouver this season. Admittedly, Taylor, I do not love this move. 
I understand the rationale and that you are looking for a cheap option that you feel may be a scheme fit. However, the Sabres aren't necessarily in a position to have the move to address their bottom pair being based on a chance that a guy might be willing, might be able to fit into what they're doing. We've been talking about the need to bolster the bottom pair in addition to more importantly, adding another top four defenseman, but a depth move shouldn't just be to bring in any guy at five on five. This season, Stillman was on the ice for 17 goals against or 17 goals for and 31 goals against that comes out to being a 35.4% control of the goal share, which is bad. Is Stillman better than Bryson? Is he better than Labushkin? Clegg or even Lawrence Pilot for that matter. You know, we're in a position right now to potentially end the longest playout drought in NHL history. And while I, of course, subscribe to the belief that we should be building this system for long-term success, again, you do not have to sacrifice that to make yourself better in the short term. And that's through a big move or a minor move for that matter. So like, look at a guy like Luke Shen, who Toronto traded a third round pick for. He is a competent defensive defenseman who's not blowing the roof off, but he does his job. A very different kind of player, but in terms of the acquisition value, you look at somebody like Shane Gostaspair, who went for a third on Wednesday as well. He's not a defensive D by any means, but he would give you a real offensive threat on the third pair. And as Jay fresh on Twitter today described him, he's not a total liability on the back end, even though he's not the most physical kind of player. I would want to be clear that I was never married to the idea of trading for either of them. Never really brought it up that much aside from Shen. That is, um, nor am I a huge fan of either of, of those guys. If those fans even do exist, but they are proven NHL defensemen who absolutely could have improved this team on the back end. And they had the assets to make a move of that nature, not necessarily those guys specifically. I think a move like that for a proven NHL guy also sends a positive message to the room too. And then Bloom, 2021 third round pick, who is playing at about a point per game pace right now in the OHL, which is good, but relative to him being two years out from being drafted, that's not exactly blowing the doors off. Some of our prospect-oriented colleagues from the Charging Buffalo like him, but to me, it just feels like he was never going to be a guy who would be a legit difference maker in the NHL. You know, we'll see how his career plays out in Vancouver, but ultimately this deal feels very inconsequential, and that's kind of the reason that I don't like it. That, in addition to the fact that in an ideal world, you're completely reconstructing your bottom pair next season, and now you just added another contract into the mix. And I will close this out with a little bit of nuance. While I find it important to upgrade the bottom pair that ultimately pales in comparison to making a legitimate upgrade slash addition to the top four. And we will obviously see what Friday brings with that. But all of that to say, we don't know what's going to happen here, Taylor. But what's your initial reaction to the Stillman move? Okay. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like he could be anything more than like uh, a depth guy. That is kind of an interesting move. I know like, for example, they're not probably thrilled about how Bryson has been playing and maybe they don't have a lot of faith in Kale Clegg or something like that, I guess. Uh, other than that, though, Dowling seems to be day to day. So it's not like there's a, a long term concern of any kind or even a medium term concern. So you still think it's going to be, you know, you'll have Dow- at the very least you're going to have Dowling Samuelson power yoki haru and labushkin all in the lineup so it's like you're deciding if it's going to be clegg bryson or this guy who admittedly vancouver is a terrible defensive team they're probably the worst defensive team in the nhl 
it's pretty wild to say that considering there's like three teams actively tanking and the blue jackets exist, but like they're terrible at goal prevention. So that's probably not all Stillman's fault, but he, you know, he, he plays a part in it. Uh, so it's just weird to me that that, you, that would even really be consideration as a guy that may or may not be better than those guys. It might be okay for six. I, I don't know. That's interesting. I think I agree with you on bloom a little bit. It's, I don't think he was going to be like a difference maker per se in the NHL. I, when I looked at it, cause I, like I said, I'm not a huge prospect guy, but what I do know and I would have always remembered for like 10 years now, ever since I read the first hockey ab- abstract book by Rob Volman, is that there is a way to kind of translate to see how many points are likely to translate from different levels. So what age you are at a certain level. So or not even just the levels like leagues, the SHL, the KHL, the AHL. Right. And it's not just that. It's also your age. A draft plus two guy being under a point per game and the OHL says bad things about his offensive game in the NHL. Now, there is more to it, though. When you get down to the individual level, you can break it down to guys whose skill sets are more likely to, I guess, evolve so that they're pretty good NHL players. Uh, And it seemed like a lot of people seem to think he could fit well into the bottom six, that he has a bunch of different skills, like penalty killing. He's solid in his own zone, things like that. I would say I don't freak out about a guy trading for a guy like that, but it also feels like, well, if that's the case, trade him for someone you're going to use more than you're going to use Stillman. Right. Uh, and I got to say, this has probably been unsaid so far, but his dad is a bastard 2006 hurricane. Yep. And I really can't let that go. So <laughs> uh, that's that's another that's another well angle for it. Uh, but yeah, it's in general, I I just don't I didn't think much of the trade. But I also kind of subscribe to the idea that it's not one of the moves that really matters. Like ultimately, I probably won't even remember it. Unless Josh Boom ends up being pretty good. But and I also, kinda, I get the angle that his dad is funny. I, I'll miss his dad on Twitter. For sure. But I, I think that's kind of my point, though, Taylor. Like, and this will lead into the Chekron conversation, I know, at some point. But they kind of need to make a consequential move. They need to make an impact move, it feels like. And it feels like they are able yeah. to do that with the way that player movement is going with this deadline. I mean, look at, has there ever been a deadline where practically every name that is being rumored to being moved actually does end up getting traded. I mean, this has been very, very active and yeah, it's basically just Jensen that didn't get moved. Right. Right. But, and that's the thing though, is that you have all of these guys moving. You have all of these teams in a variety of different positions, whether it's the top of the league or guys who are teams who are fighting for playoff spots, making these moves and we can lead this into the the Portillo conversation because the Sabres on Wednesday evening traded Eric Portillo, the, his rights to the Los Angeles Kings for a third round pick. I'll start off by saying in terms of value, good move, getting an asset yeah. back for a guy who's going to walk. Absolutely. Totally can, feel that. Can I do a comparison? Sure. So a few years ago, VC was in a similar situation. He had a walk option uh, and he was the, the Hobie Baker winner. I almost said Vesna winner. He was not the Vesna. Nice. He was the Hobie Baker winner, the best player in college hockey. And it became clear that he kind of, if he wasn't going to be a UFA necessarily, he was definitely not going to sign with the Predators. And the Predators traded him to the Sabres for a third round pick. So to get the same thing, basically, that the Sabres gave up to get the Hobie Baker winner, to trade away a guy who, not telling tales out of school here, he hasn't had a good year. And all of a sudden, it's mm-hmm. like you're looking at his college career is he barely played the COVID year, not his fault. And then last year, he put up good numbers behind the best team in the country that had, I don't know, 
five top six picks or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Unbelievable team. And then he has just a regular good, great team this year. Good team, whatever. I don't watch college hockey, but I, I look, I, I don't, I know Levi's shape percentage has dropped too, but a friggin' nine Oh eight as a draft plus three guy draft plus three, draft plus four, whatever the hell it is. Not good. That's terrible. No. It's draft plus four, isn't it? Yeah. That's bad. Like <laughs> I'd be very concerned if I was thinking he was this, like the Sabres best option. So oh, for sure. Getting a three for him is good, and it's whatever for LA. They need to think about goaltending anyway. They have no idea what's going on over there. Famously, yeah, I mean, there's famously, a much... they have a big goaltending day for LA. Yeah, well, we and we'll we'll get to that in the NHL portion, uh, the league wide portion, I should say, of the episode. But you're right. I mean, I I would say that there's definitely a clearer path in Los Angeles than there is here. UPL, I don't really think is much of a threat. I, you know, but. Devin Levi, obviously. I mean, it goes without saying, not to mention what message does it send that the Sabres draft a goalie in the second round last year too? do not agree with that pick. Don't get me wrong. I do not think that that was the pick that they should have made, but they still made that pick and you're going to have Lynonen coming up through the ranks. You know, Levi obviously is going to be more immediate. You're assuming he's going to sign his ELC after this coming season. So within the next month, probably. And it made sense for, for the Sabres to make this move. I mean, there wasn't a path for Portillo. You do right by the prospect. Now you, he gets to go to an organization that he probably will have a, an easier path to playing time. But Shit, he might play this spring. There you go. You never know. <laughs> you never know. But with that being said, though, the Sabres now own nine picks in the 2023 draft. They have a first three seconds. LA's third and then one fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. So this is where we get into the Jacob Chekrin portion of the episode. Jacob Chekrin goes to Ottawa, seemingly kind of coming out of nowhere. Ottawa had been rumored to be in on him for really the past, what do you want to say, like year and a half or so. Uh, but Never really seemed like it was going to happen. They obviously make the big moves for Debrinket and Giroux in the offseason. So let's see what we have here. For the return, we have Jacob Chekrin going to Ottawa. And in return, the Coyotes get a 2023 conditional first-round pick, a 2024 conditional second-round pick that becomes a first should Ottawa win, I believe, two rounds in the playoffs and then a 2026 second round pick. So a lot of questions th- really throughout this season, last off season about whether Chekrin is a guy that the Sabres should have gone after a huge issue with it from the start was the astronomical asking price that Armstrong had in Arizona. You know, we're hearing stuff about three first round equivalents. I mean, it, insane. And in reality, Chekrin ends up going for, a pretty reasonable return. I know you and I, we talked a little bit before the episode. We differ here. So I'm I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, but I am not thrilled, Taylor. I think that the Sabres absolutely could have made that deal. They absolutely had the assets to make that deal. You know, I saw a couple of people pointing out that from Arizona's perspective, whose first round pick would you rather have between Ottawa or Buffalo with how the season's going to that? I would say, okay, instead of giving them a conditional second, why don't you include one of your first round equivalent prospects in Isaac Rosine, for example, we'll say. 
or Noah Oslin for that matter. So if you're looking at then uh first round pick, we'll say a 2023, same thing, conditional first, lottery protected first. You're talking Isaac Rosine and then one of your second round picks this year. You still have two second round picks and a third. As we're saying before, 22 picks in the last two drafts. You throw nine more picks on now. I have a hard time thinking that the Sabres are going to be selecting nine players in this upcoming draft. But hypothetically speaking, with the what they have right now, that's 31 players over three drafts. That's a lot. Too many cooks. Too many. So the other side of this, too, is where the Sabres are at right now. Again, we are at the longest playoff drought in NHL history. We are in the midst of, okay, the Sabres have done a good job with committing to a long-term approach to building this team. But as I said before, you can make a meaningful move that in no way, shape, or form is sacrificing the future of this team or trying to speed anything up. Is there a reasonable argument that somebody can make that given the core of this team right now being by and large, as young as it is, these guys just stepping into the primes of their careers for the most part, with the exception of guys like Tuck and Skinner, for example, who are like firmly in their primes. If you are to trade a first round pick and Noah Ostland, Helen, if you want to even get crazy and in the off season, you trade Rosine too, and you make a couple of substantial acquisitions knowing that you still have this core in place right now that you are not sacrificing. You are not touching. How is that speeding anything up? How is that rushing any process? It's not, it's absolutely not. You want to look at it from a bigger picture perspective coming into this season. Everybody had very tempered expectations for this team. It was going to be another year of building. We were saying it, we've been saying it for two years. 2022-2023 is another year of building leading in to 2023-2024 where you are playoffs. Like, it's it's go time, okay? We were going to see with how well this team did last year at the like down the stretch. We wanted them to be like a 500 team. Be Like everybody's been saying, the, the common overused phrase, meaningful games in March. They're doing that right now. They're exceeding that right now. I do not believe that you can have an approach to things in the beginning of a season and not change or adapt that approach based on how the season is going. And that's how I feel about this Sabres team right now. The, uh, the Stillman trade, like I'm not mad about it. It's just annoying because like we said, it really doesn't improve anything. Like you're not making an addition to this team. Like you're not, there's no, no part of this team that we know of right now or that anybody can confidently say gets better with the addition of Stillman. But you are in a position though, where yes, there are multiple holes on this team. Goaltending is a nightmare right now. You need to get a top four defenseman. You need to add probably something else into your middle six. another scoring threat into your middle six. Okay. So that's three key pieces, but with the layout of the playoff race right now, addressing one of those things right now can make the difference. And again, I believe that it is absolutely important to have the long-term success of this team being your main consideration. I get that. 
But at the same time, Adams, in my opinion, needs to have a bit of a sense of urgency here. Like we're saying 2023, 2024 is the year for the playoff hunt. Okay. But it's the same thing that we've been saying about Darlene's production and Tage's production and Tuck's production. We don't know what position we are actually going to be. And the only thing we know is where we are right now. And right now you are in a playoff spot. You have the core guys on your team are all every single member of the core of this team is having a career season right now. You don't know what that's going to look like next year. You don't know how many games above 500 you're going to be by March 1st next year. It's not guaranteed. And the, the whole point of having an NHL franchise of having any franchise obviously is, is building with a long-term approach in mind, but you need to know when the window is beginning to open. And it is right now for this team. We don't know what injuries might happen next year. There's just so many variables involved. And so to sit there, like for people to say that, you know, obviously like the, the sacrificing the, the long-term plans or whatever. I mean, it's nonsense to begin with. Don't get me wrong, but I, I just, I don't know. I just, I cannot get behind this idea that making a move right now ultimately isn't going to benefit this team in the long-term and in the short term. Like it, it absolutely can. And again, all these other teams that we're in the mix with right now, Washington, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, Florida, they all have flaws too. All of these teams have flaws, but there are teams that are going out and at least trying to make moves to improve some of the areas where they're flawed. Do those teams still have flaws after making acquisitions? Yes, they do. That's the whole point. So yeah, if we go out and trade for a middle six forward right now, or if they went out and made the check trade, is that going to change the fact that they need more, that maybe they need a little bit more scoring help, or maybe they need to upgrade in goal? No, it's not. But it's filling a need though that you clearly have right now. And I think in the case of Chekrin, you don't know how he's going to look on the right side. Yes. Yes. There's injury concerns, but he is healthy. Now I am okay with moving the assets that are required to acquire a guy like that. When you are getting that level of production, when they are healthy and he is having a career year right now, but this is it's based on a trajectory. He's still young. Like he, th- this could be who he's becoming. Yeah. He's, be, he's playing really well on a, a bad team. He's getting a lot of minutes. He's getting power play time, but the baseline stats are there. The eye test is there. Like everything is lining up here where you only realistically have three NHL defensemen on this roster right now. Right. Would you agree with that Taylor? No, no. I think you have three good defensemen. Three I think good, you, I'm, excuse me. Babushkin and Yoki Hari yeah. are NHL defensemen. Three good NHL defensemen, I should say. Three good NHL defensemen. Yeah. Or even yeah. above average. Yeah. That's fine. We could say that. To, to think that it would somehow, in any way, shape, or form, be a bad thing to add another one that would probably, as of at least right now, be the second best defenseman on the team given again what he just went for right now, which is more than manageable and would not have been a even a dent in what the Sabres have built right now. I think that it's a major miss by Kevin Adams. I, I think it's a huge miss. And again, as is the case with all of this stuff, is it going to change the course of the season? Is everything, is the sky falling now? No, not necessarily. But again, it just goes back to missing out on the opportunity that you have in front of you. So, 
Give me your rebuttal, sir. What do you got? Well, it's I actually agree with a lot of it because I think the overall philosophy I have is you're not rushing. In fact, I don't really think rushing is a real thing. I think people are just paranoid because Tim Mori, Tim Mori, good lord. <laughs> I was gonna, I was combining two words. You can probably guess what the other one is. Tim yeah. Murray was a simpleton who was like, you know what, we're all good. We just need a really tall goalie. Uh, we need uh, a gigantic number one defenseman, wrist line, and you'll do. Uh, and then the rest of the roster can be kind of whatever. I like. I actually had in my time hop today. I think came up from seven years ago, which was the Sabers game uh, lines from that night, and it was a, a nightmare. I looked at it and I was like, th- "This is 2016, by the way." So this is Eichel is there. This is the first year of Eichel, where they they ended up having 81 points that year somehow. You have like Eichel. Someone's hurt, so Riley might have been hurt at that point. Kane might have been hurt. He just had all these random guys like Cal O'Reilly's the third line center. So yeah, that was a mess. I'm getting too off topic there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the problem. Like, you can't right. just have half your roster be guys who suck. <laughs> who Agreed. Uh, Agreed. So, so the whole thing now is, oh, you can't rush. You have to do it on the right timeline. And it's like, you know what? They kind of are on the right timeline. Like, Tage is 24, 25, whatever. Tage is in his prime. Skinner is, like, at the end of his prime, scoring-wise, mm-hmm. realistically. Like, that's kind of what happens. His scoring might not dip down that much, maybe, because he's a great center. But he's not going to be the offensive player he was in a couple of years. And Tuck's in his prime. And Dalene all of a sudden looks like he's in his prime. So you can have guys in your prime while you also have young guys. There's a million examples of that, but it works out super well. It's It allows young guys to get minutes in the playoffs, get experience, play with good older players. It's a good thing. And in fact, what you're doing is the opposite. Uh, I know they had no way of knowing how good the first line would be this year. We're all surprised that Tage is going to score 60 goals. <laughs> We're all surprised that Tuck could be a point of game player. Dalene could... You know, if he comes back, he could be an 80-point defenseman, all that stuff. So I agree with all that. Like, they – it's almost wasting a year. It's wasting all those guys a year if you finish 10th in the East. So, yes, I do agree with that. But I I think in general there's a few things. I don't want to be too defensive of Kevin Adams, but I do like to judge GMs by the moves they do make rather than the ones they don't. Um, so that, that's, that can be tougher when you're talking about big moves – big roster changing moves because you know that there's only a few opportunities out there a year. So when you don't trade for Timo Meyer or Chekrin, uh, that's everyone knows that you didn't do it. Uh, but so for example, the Meyer one, I had no reservations about Meyer except the, con- not, not the contract contract was fine. Um, the extension possibility. And that's the only hang up I would have about him, his game, hundred percent. I'd take him on the Sabres tomorrow and give him an eight year deal. Chakrin is a, at least a little bit more of a hesitation than that. Uh, for starters, I don't want to have – when I'm looking at the roster long-term, because I should also back up and say I view Meyer and Chakrin as long-term deals separate from the the idea of making the playoffs this year. I do want them to make moves before Friday. Um, but when you're talking about Meyer and Chakrin uh, in particular, because you're talking about the long-term, and with Chakrin, there are a few reservations I have. Let's start with this. I think – that's putting a lot of you'd be putting a lot of let's say assets or a lot of your expending a lot of your roster building energy into having three big defensemen who shoot from their almost four honestly with Samuelson they all shoot from the same side I don't know how much that matters but I feel like even if this is a dumb antiquated thing to think you should have one guy that shoots on the other hand in the top four I don't know maybe that's dumb uh, if Chekrin, I don't, I, I don't know. Is he going to get power play time in Ottawa? I assume he is. Would he in I Buffalo? Think. Yeah. In Buffalo at this point, he would be because Darlene's hurt. Uh, but that'd be an interesting thing. Would he want 
would he be cool with that? Like not playing in the power play basically? Uh, or would they retrofit the power play to have him on there? Uh, and then another thing, this is bigger than all those other things, his health. Like that's this is not like he had one big injury I'm worried about. You look at his games played every year. He played every game during the the I don't know what you would call it, the weird season, the 56 game season. But other than that, he misses like 20 something games a year. He's played under a quarter of his potential career games. Sorry, he's missed <laughs> played under a quarter. He's played under three quarters. He's missed more than a quarter of his potential NHL games. It's a lot. So you you can basically expect him to be on the ice for 60 games a year. That's that's hard for me to be cool with making a commitment to that. And then the last thing really is, and this is, I guess, my last defense of Kevin Adams, and I hope the check is in the mail, sir. Uh, it doesn't take that long to get from Clarence North Buffalo. Uh, kind of what you brought up with the pick. Ottawa, I think he would look at it and say there's a realistic chance it's top 10. And what's the production on it? Top five? Uh, I'll double check on that, but go ahead. Yeah, basically the protection is if they win the lottery and get one of the four lottery spots. Uh, or three lottery spots, sorry. Uh, I don't know, though. Like, Ottawa it's, could... St- it's, it is like I'm being a little bit arrogant as a Sabres fan, I guess, because we're not that different from Ottawa at this stage. But I think the Sabres are going to have a significantly better chance. If they don't make the playoffs, I think they're much better, uh, more realistically being like the last team out than Ottawa. And I, I could see easily... Ottawa, yeah, they have a fine finish, even with Chekrin, but they finish behind the Sabres, the Capitals, the Penguins, the Red Wings, the Islanders. And then it's like, oh, wait, yeah. Or, or they're even pretty close to the Flyers. And then it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> wow, it turns out we have the eighth pick or whatever. And I think there's a good chance Arizona looked at that and valued that a lot and would much rather have that possibility than the Sabres. Uh, having like the 15th or, or sorry, not 15th. Well, maybe to make the playoffs, but like Sabres or Chekrin would have a good chance of making the playoffs. Maybe it is 15th, 16th, 17th, something like that. Um, And I think when you have to add to that from that point and you're looking at it from the Sabres and Arizona's perspective, maybe there isn't a deal that works because the two guys you brought up, Rosen and Otsland, if they're, especially if it's an individual basis, one of those guys to add, sweeten the deal. I'm not sure if I would be that excited about that. If I was Arizona. Well, uh, on what basis though? I think Rosine has not had a great uh, post draft production wise. I know it hasn't been in hundred percent fair circumstances, but he's not, and he's still young. So this could turn around. I'm not giving up on Rosine, but he hasn't been killing it at the AHL level. And he, again, not fair circumstances, but he didn't get to play a lot last year overseas. And then, Osland, uh, kind of the similar thing. Like he wasn't, there were some questions when he was taken in the middle of the first round, but he hasn't had like a dynamite year where it's like, oh man, we were wrong about this guy. The way, like, let's say our good friend Yuri Kulich has, and he doesn't have exactly, neither of those guys exactly have the pedigree Savoy has. So I think maybe you'd have to add even more. And that's maybe where the, the divide comes in potentially. Now, on the other hand, I would have liked to have Chekrin, but you know, I have those reservations. I would say what I really want, uh, two things, I guess, uh, is I still want, if if they're if they're trying to buy, which they should be, is a, a decent rental. You don't pay too much for it. You have a million picks. Give them one of your second or thirds for a decent guy. Now, that's a forward you can put in the middle six. Or a real defenseman who's not Riley Stillman, who genuinely makes the defense better. 
a guy you put on your third pairing, whatever. Maybe a guy that plays in the goddamn penalty kill. The penalty kill is terrible. Uh, something like that. And then second, I still do want a big move. Like, I'm not saying I'm I'm not in the camp of like, stop rushing things, blah, blah, blah. This, let this core grow. Like, I think they have to make a move, at least a medium sized move. And I think what you were talking about earlier with all the picks they have, uh, I think whether people want to hear this or not, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I think that move is far more likely to come in the summer than today or tomorrow. I know. Um, I And I also of, say I'm sick of missing the goddamn playoffs too. So, well, right. <laughs> I mean, and let's say this too, in terms of, like likelihood yes it is more likely to but that doesn't mean that obviously i know you're not you're saying this either but that doesn't mean that it should be then that it happens too if an opportunity arises as it has multiple times throughout the past month you gotta jump at it you gotta be aggressive here like there's there's just gotta be a a sense of like i said urgency with all of this And, and i'll also say too in my defense, I, I don't know. I feel as though how you were describing it there almost looks at it as though, well, Ottawa sent them three assets. So in this scenario, we would send three assets. Where to me, like, okay, weighing the draft picks, you're right. Absolutely. That Ottawa, it's far more likely that they would finish in like the seven to 10 range than the Sabres would. But say, like, how do you weigh though? Set, in your example, we'll say like the 10th overall pick or the 11th overall pick to like the 15th, for example. Okay. You weigh those, but then you also have to take into consideration. Well, what if the Sabres did Osland and two of the seconds this year coming up, then that's four pieces that's going to Arizona. So Mm -hmm. how do you weigh that against the three pieces that Ottawa are sending? Like, yeah, maybe that first round pick is better, but we're also going to get two pretty decently placed second round picks and we're going to get a prospect too, who was a first rounder last year and can then, you know, take the reins on his development path because of how young he is still. So and I think I would a lot say, of I would say real quick, that's that. not, that's not a bad trade. And I'm saying that's not even not an equivalent trade. I'm saying there's a possibility. And I think Chad also said, Chad G. Dominica said this on Twitter that there's one piece that can hold up a trade of course, and, or can sell yeah. one or the other. And I think, you can add those pieces, but those aren't blue chippers the way that potentially Otto's pick can be. And like I said, I'm not a prospect person, but there are a lot of prospect people that talk about this being like one of the best drafts, the best draft since 2015 and yeah. it being fairly deep, oh, yeah. which to me would also scream the Sabres pick should be good because the 2015 draft was killer from like whenever Boston stopped taking their picks. Like <laughs> – 13 to 17 wild exactly so like i it's it just me what they value not what i value if they really want that i can see why they think ottawa's pick is a blue chipper and the sabers didn't have a blue chipper they necessarily want to include no and i get that i think i mean let's be honest like this is just how i feel about the matter and i understand the the kind of two schools of thought when it comes to this i think more than it's about Chekrin, I think it's it's an organizational thing. Like I want to know if Kevin Adams is ready to make this move right now because I think he should. That's but a I good think point. I think it's a legitimate question: Is he ready to like it? Like, does he have it in him? Honestly, yeah, you can absolutely give him credit for the fact that the Sabers have progressively gotten better under his tenure. He did well on the Eichel return. He did well seemingly on Reinhardt. Obviously, the jury's still out on that as Coolidge and Levi, neither of them have played a, a professional game yet, but looking good early on that return. He did well on the Ristolainen return, yes. But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, those are moves that you're making when you're rebuilding. 
We know that he can do that. And that's great. Not every GM can make those moves effectively. We've seen it here in Buffalo, like 100%. So credit where it's due for that. But operating out of position of selling as compared to operating from a position of being a buyer are two very, very different things. And there is a certain level of aggressiveness that you need to have when you are a buyer and not saying that he won't at some point, but he has not shown that yet. And going back to my point from before, it really feels like this is a time that he needs to like, I know like we're saying with like patience, 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 and people saying that I got news for you. Like, it's okay to be a little bit impatient when you have the longest playoff drought in NHL history. These right. people owe it to us. They owe it to the fans. They owe it to the players. They owe it to the city, the organization, everybody. They owe it to us that when you are in a position to actually do this, like this isn't a fake thing. This isn't like the 10 game winning streak from a few years ago where you're winning like overtime games and you're still like getting killed, but you're, you're managing to squeak out wins. Like this team is good. This team is, this team is producing and you don't know what it's going to look like next year. All you know is what you have right now. Yes. Be competent and build for the future, but you've done that. You already have built for the future. All of these guys, like 22 picks over the last two seasons, the nine coming up here, let's call it like, say they get rid of a couple of these, these picks either way. And we'll, we'll put it at like 28 to 30 picks that they will have over a three year span. 85% of them will never play a game in the NHL. Probably. Uh, Yeah, probably less than that. Never play a game. That's a good question. Be an NHLer. Be an NHLer. Yeah, be a regular NHLer. Be an everyday NHLer. Yeah, it's it's not that high of a percentage. Look at look at any uh, like fourth round of any draft. Go look at the fourth round from 2017. No mm-hmm. NHL fourth round, not the Sabres fourth round. Mm-hmm. That's cheating. Looking at the Sabres second round and beyond <laughs> from before a few years ago. But like, look at it. Like it's a wasteland of guys playing seven eight games and then boom, one all star right in the middle. But then there's a bunch of guys who don't play. Like most of those rounds. So yeah, I agree with you. I think even if you look at a lot of the second round, the second round is again, there's, there's hall of famers in the second round, but like there's a lot of guys who just wash out. Like if you're a second rounder, you probably get a chance, but not even always friggin' like Eric Cornell or Vlach Vakalov Karabacek or of course, any of these guys, like you can take it a step further guys who are drafted after like 17th overall. Yeah. You'll get a chance if you, if you get drafted in the first round, but a lot of these guys don't play a hundred games. Yeah. It's a crapshoot. Well, Taylor, so all that being said, I guess my question for you then is how much slack does Kevin Adams deserve to get? When does the pressure go up a little bit in terms of scrutinizing? I mean, I think in my opinion, big picture wise, if he does not make a big move, in the off season, because that's what everyone's saying. It'll be easier. It'll be easier. It'll be easier. If a, if probably multiple big moves don't happen in the off season, given where the team is right now, I mean, that's like a fireable offense. So I, I'm just curious. For well, they you- literally have to make a big right. move in that. Like that's even, that's even besides the point we're making now. Like they, they have to, 
right. in the offseason. So they will if they don't if he doesn't make that goddamn move, uh, it's UPL and Comrie. The, the scrutiny will start immediately. Well, uh, what, what, if, well, what do you think about that? I mean, how much? Let's talk about it then in the context of of this trade deadline. How necessary is it, I guess, for him to do this? Like, how much slack does he deserve here? Like, if if we walk out of this trade deadline with just the third rounder for Portillo and Stillman for Bloom, where does that leave Kevin Adams? Um, so I think that would be bad. Yeah. I think that at the very least you'd start raising questions about his, his deadline philosophy, because that would be three straight kind of annoying deadlines. If you want to go back quick to 2021, where he didn't get a lot for Hall. So I don't, I don't want to say that first one was so bad, but didn't get a lot for Hall. Hall was like, he had a no trade. So it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, didn't get a lot for stall, but stall sucked. So you got he got a lot of slack, I guess, for the first one. Last year, he also got a little bit of slack for, but it was like they didn't find a trade partner for Henestroza or Pezik or Colin Miller. And it's like, how'd you find one for Robert Hag? Why did you hold on to those guys? You just benched also, well, Henestroza played, but the other two you benched him for the rest of the year. Why'd you keep hang on to wasn't him? he wasn't there interest out there in Henestroza? He just didn't pull the trigger on it. Yeah, weird. <laughs> Which is a completely different thing than what you're saying, too. Like, that, that's yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah, that's – well, yeah, it's just – well, that's what, kind of what I was insinuating. Like, yeah, you could have found someone for Colin Miller and probably Pezik, too. You couldn't have found totally. anyone to take – like, you. someone took Robert Hag for a fifth. They would have taken those other guys, too. So that's that's another thing um, that was last year. And then this year, like, you don't buy a little bit more than that, I think. And frankly – you you touched on it at the beginning, and we're going to touch on it a little bit more in a second, but the trade deadline is like 70% over in terms of deals. And usually the way time works in the trade deadline and the way the percentage of deals works, way different. It usually is like the 24 hours and frankly, like the five hours leading up to the deadline. That's deals, deals, deals. And a lot of the big deals, maybe you get one or two done early, but a lot of them are done in the days leading up. But no, mm-hmm. like the big ones are over. Every really relevant one has been done unless there's a big shocker. So I guess we'll have to see what he comes up with. Like I said, I wouldn't hate if it was just like, all right, get this middle six guy, get this defenseman, shore things up a little bit, make a run at it with what you have. And these other guys, I guess Uh, that would be fine with me. I mean, they literally can't do anything else now, but then when it gets extended in the off season, the goalie thing, I just assume they're going to handle that in, in one way or another. And then, you're going to have to start thinking about uh, the, the the other movies you could make. I don't, I wouldn't love going back into next year with just power, the whole, the same defense, the exact same defense. Cause I think they're all under contract. I don't think you should go back into next season with the exact no. same six guys. You're going to have to move some of them too. I mean, yeah. Cause you also, well, Ryan Johnson will probably be an AHL or if he signs, which it seems like he might. Uh, and then you have to look at the other guys, the, the forward, the guys that are, you know, you have while well, you have your captaincy decision to make, are you keeping Oposo or not? What are you going to do with Gergensen? He's been a good defensive forward. Like the, all these moves to make, but I think what you want, you want at least one other interesting player. Because I also think just hey, let's let the roster unfold as it was. It's good to have a bunch of options. It's good that Kevin Adams and actually kind of the end of Botrell era too brought the Sabers a bunch of options. But you can't just rely on these options 
to come together as the exact kind of roster you want in the NHL. That's not really how it works because guys get drafted for one thing. They turn out to be better at another thing, or you just, you just draft guys for skill instead of need, which is what you should do. But then they get there and you have a mishmash of different skill sets and you're good at one thing and not another thing. And then that's why you utilize free agency and trading and making big moves to be like, okay, we need this. We need a top six winger. We have a bunch of, potential top six wingers who are prospects, but are more likely to be bottom six ship. Some of them out, ship a pick out, you know, like that's why that that's why things work that way. That's why you don't totally build from within. It doesn't work in the NHL like that. So I think, yeah, you absolutely like this. I, this off season is the big moment, but I think this trade deadline is at least something like, I feel like you have to do something, even if it's just to be like, look, I care. I care about making the playoffs. I care about ending the drought. It's, it's important. Right. You need, I mean, you need to look at every season season by season for what it is and what the season is is you are in a playoff hunt right now you have holes on your roster are you really going to sit there and just not do anything to like try and at least fill some of that so that you could put yourself over the top uh, it, it just is is mind-boggling i can't believe yeah. anybody is is against it. it i mean yeah like and of course what it comes down to is a lot of deals are happening. A lot of teams have a lot of assets, but you, you got to be aggressive here. You got to be able to, to give up something to get something back in return. And with whatever Kevin Adams is negotiating tactics or how, what his standing is as a GM, whatever, if it means for us to give up a little more to get a good player than it would for another GM to, or another team to then like, that's okay. We need to do that again. Not all of these guys are going to be here. And the key ones we already all know aren't on the table. The guys who are both the difference makers now, and then the difference makers who are coming up through the ranks, they're not getting moved. They're not trading Jack Quinn. They're not going to trade Coolidge probably or Savoy again, unless something crazy happens. Like we know power Samuelson, Darlene aren't going anywhere. Tage cousins, all of these guys, Tuck, Skinner, like they're not going anywhere. The guys who are contributing right now are staying. So if you can make moves around guys who do not fall into that umbrella, why wouldn't you want to add somebody who is also going to be good, who is also going to add a scoring punch, or who is also going to make a difference for you on the back end? I know it's tougher with goaltending, but like who's going to fix your fucking goaltending right now? It's a nightmare. Like that's that's another thing, yeah. It's it's bad. Like it's really bad. We said last episode, realistically, because you're not going to be able to make a move right now for a goalie, the fate of this season very well could live and die based on the goalie's performance this year. Because they're flat out losing them games at times, or they are getting dangerously close to losing them games a lot of times that they absolutely should be winning because they can't make a save when we need them to. It's happened plenty of times where it's like games are closer than they should be. And Do we think Carolville Melka is still an option? I would love that. If they can make that happen, absolutely. Send well, one let, of let our guys and send a defenseman or two over there and, and let's do that. Arizona, I know you love picks and prospects. And what you don't want, you hate, is a goalie that'll ruin your chance at Connor Bedard. Boo. Get True. out of here. We dealt with that. Michael Neuverth. Jonas Enroth, mm. Tim Murray dealt with those guys. <laughs> Let's get a deal done. We'll give you a better deal. Actually, you can have uh well, give us a call. Yeah, absolutely. 
Huh. He's pretty yeah. good this year. That'd be great. I mean, that I was the one. This is the kind of excited me most about the potential tech Chekrin thing. Is like, oh, we get Vilmelka here. This could be an interesting, uh, interesting deal. Even that speaks to the point I was making before too. If you were to make a package for Chekrin and Vejmelka, then you just add more. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, but it seemed like they that were. I mean, why would Ottawa have been in on Vimelka? I don't know. I mean, Mad Sogard has been playing good for them. He was the rookie of the month last year or last month. I mean, he's been that's fair. Great for them. But again, do you want to have your potential playoff hopes resting with a rookie? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's been so much talk about the goalies that are available. Corpusalo has been fine this year, but I don't trust him. No. Quick is washed. Uh, Cam Talbot, there's some discussion about him. I did. I think we even brought up Cam Talbot. I looked up uh, some of his advanced stats, and I got to say, year over year, he has sucked for a long time. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> He's been fine this year, I think, but good Lord. Yeah. He was also, I think he's been hurt for a bit or he was hurt for a bit to start the year. Yeah. This year. I mean, this year is notwithstanding. I mean, just mean like every year before this has been. Oof. Yeah. Not good. Not good. Well, not good. Well, that probably leads us into the, uh, the rest of the NHL, right? I believe it does, but should we hear a word from our sponsors first? We should folks. Let's start with an old classic. Hoops fans, it's time to bring the NBA action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. So this is the part where I'm supposed to discuss a bet or anything I like. Well, interesting thing, I was watching the Lakers game last night uh, when I was at a certain bar that I'll get to in a second. But they they are playing the Grizzlies last night. No LeBron. He's out for a couple weeks with a foot injury, which is unfortunate for the Lakers' chances this year. Anthony Davis was having a really nice game, keeping them in it. And now he's allegedly hurt, too. Tough, classic thing. You have a player, LeBron, who's played more NBA minutes than anyone ever, including the playoffs. Uh, and Anthony Davis, who just loves getting hurt. Favorite thing to do in the world. So hard to build a team around those guys. But here's the thing. Who's going to step up? That's a question you have to ask yourself. You don't have Russell Westbrook to kick around anymore. Otherwise, I'd be telling you right now, bet on that, get on that triple double action right now. But who who realistically on the Lakers going to step up? It's a it's an old uh, axiom in the NBA. Somebody's got to score twenty points on every team, especially in these high scoring days of today. So let me give you uh, an option you might like. Just. Pick between who you're feeling good about. Troy Brown Jr., Dennis Schroeder, Malik Beasley. I got to say, I like Malik Beasley better than any of those other guys as scorers. But here's the big one. Off the bench, he's finally feeling like it's his moment. Who's going to step up and hit all his his potential overs, points, rebounds, assists, whatever. Rui Hachimura, he's going to show Shaq who he is. Mm. And the Lakers are going to lose by 31 let me see what their next game is. Are they playing Thursday night? No, Friday night. Can I just uh, say something about Shaq really quick? Yes. Did you see him compare the Anthony Edwards thing today or yesterday night with Jeremy Lin? 
Uh, no. What did he was talking about? He was talking about Anthony Edwards and was essentially saying, because like I, the context of it was like talking about Edwards and how young he is. And he's like, he's having a great season, but you know, we all know what happened to Jeremy Lin, huh? Where is he now? And everybody, like everybody just started laughing at him. And he was like, what? You had a win, you know, you had a, you you have one great game, a great stretch, a great season. That's fine. Let me see how long you can do it for. And literally like Candace Parker is like, laughing on the other end of the the table and it was just like what are you talking about also I, throwing I, a stray at jeremy lynn like that yeah not nice he just i think he just made an award-winning documentary i threw the award-winning part in there speaking I'm, of also <laughs> I'm sure he just made a documentary speaking of uh idiotic basketball commentator comments how about your boy kendrick perkins okay well, i'm gonna get to, let me finish the ad and i'll get to those okay Thank so you. T-Wolves, Friday night, bet on Rui Hachimura. He will not let you down, but he might. (laughs) Download the app now and sign with code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can bet $5 in the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. Okay, two things. First of all, I really admire Shaq in, in the context he's in. I actually like Candace Parker. She's so out of place on the in TNT side because, well, you know what? Actually, Kenny does. Kenny has thoughtful takes too, but Candace really works so hard to understand the game. Um, and she's obviously a great player. Or, you know, she's had a great career in college and the WNBA, but like she just works hard to have like correct takes and like the being entertaining part of secondary. Uh, she's obviously not part of the main crew. So when the main crew's on, Kenny, and Chuck, they're they're different. They have different, I would say, almost like headbutting approaches because Kenny's like, even though they're both good guys, seemingly Kenny's so thoughtful about the game, and Chuck just Chuck's always like lets him rip. Yeah, like this game sucks, or he'll be like, but Kenny would talk about how a second year player is struggling despite getting drafted seventh overall, and Chuck would be more like, yeah, he's bust. <laughs> but Shaq will just come in with like most like, were you have you been watching? Like what the, what the hell are you talking <laughs> about, Shaq? And it's not even always about basketball, but a lot of the time it is. The Rui Hachimura one's a great, a great point. He's like, I don't know who that is. And I have watched less NBA in the past couple of years, mostly because I have this podcast and the Sabres haven't annoyed me as much. Uh, but, you know, I like the NBA and I like college basketball. And of course I knew who Rui Hachimura is. He was one of the best college basketball players in the country. Mm-hmm. He was a decently high draft pick. He's madder than the league for a while. Like, buddy, this is your job. <laughs> like, and he th- then his defense is even worse. It's not like, oh, he's been stuck on bad teams or he hasn't been good enough. He's like, I don't know who you are if you're not a top 10 player. It's like, okay, you're watching any game. You don't know who, like, <laughs> statistically, in all likelihood, you don't know who anyone on the floor is. Like, this man is watching a Utah Jazz versus, oh, I don't know. like Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> it, yeah, Atlanta Hawks game. And he's like, yeah, sorry. Don't know. Trey Young, I have him 11th. So <laughs> don't know who that is. I just, it just, it's such a funny thing. And like, he's so bad at the, like, he's, he's often try tries to do the, um, Hey, I expect a lot. Cause I'm an all time great. And you, if you want to be, a, it's almost like a joke. Like, yeah. like he's like, Oh, uh, MB 28, 18 and five blocks. You got to have 10 blocks. If you want to be a, a real big man in this league. And things like that that are annoying. But his non-basketball takes, like he thought that from Atlanta, he was closer to the moon than Los Angeles. Oh, my God. The budgeting thing, too, with getting gas where he's like, listen, 
people go fill up their gas tank. So you spend 50 bucks on it. Okay. Do that two weeks, spend another 50 bucks. That's a hundred dollars. He's like, what I do one week I go 25 bucks tank gets to halfway another 25 bucks. It's like, buddy, did we not learn like second grade math? It's still the same amount of money. And like Chuck and Kenny and Ernie are dying because they're like, Shaq, you're still spending $50 every two weeks. And it just like was not computing in his brain. And yeah, Shaq is like such an entertaining dude. And it's just like, at least Chuck is entertaining and like has flashes of like regular common sense with things. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. I would Have say. Have you seen that clip before that I'm oh, talking 100%. about? Oh, 100%. He's yeah. like, you just only get gas between um, halfway and quarter way full. You go from quarter to half and then you drive from half to quarter. It's like at Shaq, and then you just get gas more often. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, you don't. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's so insane. It's I don't I just think that's just a dumb guy who can't understand math versus I don't know what to say about someone who thinks the moon is closer to Atlanta than Los Angeles. <laughs> it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's wild, man. And wild. like Shaq is supposed to be like smart. Like his his dad was like he was like his dad, his dad was in the military, I'm pretty sure. Um, like very strict. He went to two years of college instead of one because of that, things like that. And like he went, I think he allegedly got his degree and you know, all the stuff. He's talked about business wise and all his endorsements and how he made his kids get MBAs before they can get any inheritance. And people in comments on videos like that were always be like, Shaq, he's the smartest NBA player. It's like, no, he's not. He's one of the dumbest people in the world. And he's insanely ignorant about the thing he covers for a living. I don't even like dislike the guy, but it's it's just insane to me. Um, but yeah, he's it's certainly interesting. I would say that Kenny, I get you, I feel that Charles are two different um, sides of the street smart uh, type thing. Where mm-hmm. I don't even know what the hell to call Shaq. I that's it's it's, <laughs> it's bewil- he's a bewildering guy. But I think it's also uh, pretty clear that he doesn't he doesn't exactly watch basketball. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's a uh, paid to do. Yeah, not exactly. All right, so folks, mm. our next sponsor, well, Sidman Brewery. And, and should we acknowledge that our dear friend Ray J has departed us once again? I didn't want to lose the rights, or I didn't want to lose like a legal battle, but I wanted to play like the graduation song, like the as we go on, we'll remember. <laughs> He'll be back. He's always back. He will. He'll be crawling back to us in no time. <laughs> so I was at Thin Man last night for trivia. One again, no big deal. Wow. No big big shot. Own. One by five this time. Big stuff. Goodness. So they uh, they reopened. Uh, unfortunately, they did a soft reopening that neither of us could attend on Monday. It looks oh, you like didn't a end up going? No, nah, I was sick. Oh, geez. Fortunately. Uh, looked like a great time. I was able to get there Tuesday to have their new pretzel which is really good uh and uh they have just a lot going on the downstairs looks fantastic in fact all of it looks fantastic uh looks really cool i can't believe they got all that done in under two weeks time so check out uh thin man on elmwood to see uh how they're doing and when when should you go okay so they've had a couple of uh announcements recently that we should get to uh the reopening is just part of that but they have a new menu 
that's what I kind of wanted to talk about. It seems like they're infusing a lot of the beer onto different things in their menu. It's very interesting. And they have a Cuban with pulled pork. I really got to try that. That sounds interesting. I love Cubans and I love pulled pork. It's a, a real twist on a classic. Um, so that's that's one thing. So you can you can see a lot. It's it, they just have a lot of new stuff. I believe they have new cocktails as well. The menus, all that stuff. And the menus are much nicer. I mean, physically nicer menus, which is great. Uh, and there's a lot more to it. So there's something to look forward to. But also, Minky Stardust released today as we're speaking, which means that you in the future listening to this, you can go get it whenever, as long as Thin Man's open. It's available at Elmwood, draft only. There's limited growlers available. They might be gone by the time you listen to this, but we'll see. Uh, and they have, well, they have a lot coming up. They have the side pull shakedown. We got, oh man, we got so much stuff on here. I got I just got to mention a few things. I'm going to mention the Mickey Stardust. Uh, it's a collab with Prairie Artisan Ales of OKC. Uh, it's a raspberry sour ale with strawberry pink starburst. How good does that sound? I'm going to get a Mickey wow. Stardust when I go Friday for the Super Freak IPA launch party. Now, I'm very excited for Super Freak. Uh, obviously, Rick James, the home and a burial place. Uh, is Buffalo, one of uh, America's most beloved pop stars in the 1980s. Uh, now has, this is definitely not named after him, and in no way should his estate reach out to Thin Man. <laughs> but Super Freak IPA launch party is Friday, and who is playing but Thin Man? Who's playing but Thin Man? <laughs> <laughs> who's playing but Slow Animals? Slow Animals are playing at 10.30 p.m. on Friday, but you can come in all day and get Super Freak in... Uh, you could buy the cans or you can get draft, hang out there, whatever. Uh, I personally might be more interested in the Minky Stardust, but I don't know there's a lot of IPA people out there. And uh, I'm sure you'll be interested in this, uh, the Super Freak. And Brendan, why don't you tell more about what's gonna, what, the, what they can expect entertainment wise? Yes, we'll be playing 1030 to 130 on Friday night. It's going to be a really great time. We're going to have two sets we're going to be playing. I know I talk about the bands kind of vaguely on here from time to time. Um, obviously, our intro song is from my original band, Slow. Well, Canadis, Slow Animals, Slow Animals is the cover band that I play in with a handful of other guys from the local music scene, original music scene, and we cover a pretty wide range of artists. We do a lot of the Strokes and Arctic Monkeys and the Killers. Those are our three like primary ones that we do a lot. But we also have like a, a really nice mix where we do some Sugar Ray. We do some Tom Petty. We got some Franz Ferdinand. We do some Gwen Stefani. I mean, it's we're, we're all across the board. Harry Styles. We, we do a little bit of everything. And so it's a really cool breakdown where we usually will have, you know, I would say probably like 50 ish percent of the set is like strokes and Arctic monkeys and killers, you know, sticking with like the kind of alt rock vibe. But it's all upbeat stuff. It's all very dancey stuff. Our shows are a great, great time. Um, Taylor has been to many of them and uh, the crowds, they, they like to have some fun. They like to do some dancing. So if you're looking for a good excuse to get out, have some fun with your pals, come hang out with us, hang out with Yvonne too, who's going to be coming up and doing some guest vocals on a special track on one of the songs. Come hang out with the ghost of Rick James. Hold on. I just interrupted that. James. That was a big thing. Go, go back to that. <laughs> I did not realize what I was interrupting. No, it's okay. Thank you for acknowledging that you don't fucking listen to me ever. Um, <laughs> Yvonne is performing a song with us. Yeah, our, our pal Yvonne, who was on a few episodes ago, he's going to be singing a song with me. We're going to duet. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be like 
Aladdin and Jasmine, except way raunchier and actually nothing like that at all, but it's going to be way raunchier. So it'll be a really good time. You should come check it out. Uh, and sources say they might be an impromptu live podcast recording of straight up sabers. Yes. Uh, we're going to, we're Taylor's just going to come up and we're just going to start talking. It's going to be great. Yeah. It should be interesting. I Number one sponsor. That is a brewery in Buffalo because we also love DraftKings, but we also we love Thin Man. <laughs> the number one local sponsor, and also uh, last part of the ad, they have a Chandler Street location. Yeah, uh, that's more convenient for you. So to get back to the uh, the hockey, real quick, uh, let's do that. Connor McDemon has another two goal game, his fifth in a row. I'm not even joking about that. Uh, at the end of the first period, he already has three points, so he's up to one eighteen. Wait, he has goals. he has five two goal games in a row. Yeah, he's up to fifty two goals. Oh my goodness! Yeah, hundred eighteen points. It's March first. That boy is on another level. Oh I'm sick of it. God, knock it off. We were so let JJ Paterka get some goals. We were so close. Uh, all right, oh, well. well Taylor, how about we do this? How about I go through, I'm going to give a recap of the notable trades that have happened so far throughout this deadline week. You pick out the ones that you would like to react to. Sound good? Yep. All right. As of now, everybody, as we're recording this on March 1st at about 9 o'clock, most recently the San Jose Sharks acquired Vladimir or Vladislav Nemestikov, excuse me, from the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, the Golden Knights ended up getting Teddy Bluger for a third-round pick. Sabres obviously acquired a third-rounder for Eric Portillo. We, of course, talked about the Checkern trade already. Crazy one that happened earlier. Perplexing one on Vancouver's part. The Vancouver Canucks acquired Philip Pronick and a fourth-round pick in the 2023 draft from the Red Wings in exchange for a conditional first, which was the one that the Islanders had sent in the Bo Horvat deal, and a second-round pick in the 2023 draft. I'm going to just say something about this really quick. What is Vancouver doing? This is one this, that I wanted to highlight as well. How does this move make any sense for them? No, any let's... sense? You are about to be rebuilding, and you're trading away a first-round pick for a guy who's like, yeah, he's a fine defenseman. Don't get me wrong, but like, what are you doing? Why are you giving up a first round pick and a second round pick for a guy who's probably going to be your second pairing defenseman and is not the kind of guy that is going to, in like the context of like a check where he puts you over the top or anything like that. It makes absolutely no sense. We could get to it after, as I mentioned in the beginning in our intro, Shane Goss goes to Carolina for a third Colorado with a really nice acquisition, picking up Lars Eller from Washington exchange for a second round pick. The big trade that broke at midnight, Columbus acquiring Jonathan Quick in a first-round pick, a conditional one in 2023 for a third, uh, excuse me, and a third, and the 2024 draft from Los Angeles in exchange for Vladislav Gavrikov and Jonas Korpisala. We've been talking about Gavrikov and Korpisala both over the past couple weeks, so they go in the same deal to L.A. Then your boy, Taylor, Patrick Kane, gets traded to your favorite team, the New York Rangers, along with defenseman Cooper Zek from Chicago, of course, going in a three-team trade that saw Arizona retain some of Kane's salary. In return, the Blackhawks received defenseman Andy Walensky, a conditional second-round pick that will turn into a first in the 2023 draft and a fourth-round pick in the 2025 draft. So, big move there, the Rangers. 
Continuing on, Gustav Nyquist goes to Minnesota from fake, Columbus. Fake, fake. What do you mean? He retired in like 2010, I'm pretty sure. Gustav okay. Nyquist is not still okay. around. <laughs> what I think, next up, what I think is maybe the best trade in terms of fitting an organizational need. Edmonton acquires Matthias Ekholm in a sixth-round pick in the 2024 draft from Nashville in exchange for Tyson Berry, Reed Schaefer, a first-round pick in 2023, and a fourth-rounder in 2024. I definitely want to talk to that one, talk about that one a little bit because I think Ekholm is exactly the kind of defender that Edmonton needed and was sorely lacking. And was he expiring? I think he has one more year after this year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, that's a good I'll double-check that. Toronto. They acquire Luke Shen from Vancouver in exchange for a third rounder. Islanders acquire Pierre Engvall from Toronto in exchange for a third rounder. Big trade with Washington and Toronto, where Washington acquires Rasmus Sandin from Toronto in exchange for Eric Gustafson, who's having a nice bounce back year with Washington and a first round pick in 2023. I believe that is the Bruins pick that went to Washington. Uh, then moving on, we have Marcus Johansson, old friend. He gets traded to Minnesota for a third rounder. Jesse Poyarvi, a very interesting trade here. He's going to Carolina in exchange for the rights to unsigned draft choice, Patrick Pustola. Of course, Riley Stillman. <laughs> we already know there. Jake McCabe. He's going to Toronto with Sam Lafferty a conditional fifth rounder in 2024 and a conditional fifth rounder in 2025 in exchange for Joey Anderson, Pavel Gugliev, and a conditional first rounder in 2025 and a second rounder in 2026. Big return there for McCabe and Lafferty. That's a, that's a, that is a trade. The the worst of all of the trades though, that we had talked about Tanner Janot, just as a reminder, not even real. Cal Foot, a conditional first round pick in 2025, second rounder in 2024, a third, fourth, and fifth rounders in the 2023 draft. Insane. Oof. And of course, Timo Meyer as well. So we talked about that. So we're caught up as we talked about the Genoa, the Geno trade and the Meyer trades last episode. Taylor, what is a trade that really stands out to you that you want to talk about that you think is pretty substantial? Vancouver. <laughs> Lay it on me, baby. I love it because I don't think they're rebuilding. I think uh, maybe this is an indication that the Horvat trade was more about the fact that they didn't think they'd be able to get him signed for the money he wanted. Uh, it's very funny because basically now they've traded Horvat for Hronik in um, not directly in an indirect manner. That's the trade they made. So that's first of all, not a really good trade, but also kind of a seemingly directionless, directionless one until you remember uh, that they're, team president is 100 years old and probably is not that interested in a rebuild and they have their roster is almost bereft of free agents despite the fact that they are one of the worst teams in the league they're probably the worst team that tried this year unless you want to say columbus tried and they have good players like patterson he's not a ufa and they don't want him to be but brock besser has three years left J.C. Miller has eight years left. Connor Garland's four years away. Bavillier, two. They probably want to keep him. Kuzmenko, three. Um, Atu Rati, three years away from RFA status. Quinn Hughes is five years left. Tyler Myers is two years left. Uh, they have a bunch of – well, some of the, a bunch of their defensemen, I should say, are UFA. And then you have Thatcher Demko is four years left. Oliver ekman Larson five years left. They signed Curtis Lazar. He's injured right now, but he has three years left on his deal. Very interesting. They have a bunch of guys sitting on long-term injured reserve. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to 
most of these guys, Pearson, Pullman, Furland, and Mikheyev, but good lord, that's hilarious to me. I did not consider the idea that they might not rebuild. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I think that's very funny. Uh, and then I guess some other ones, the Pat Kane one, uh, people were wondering why he didn't get more, and you know, there's some arguments to be had about what kind of player he is at this point in his career, what a rental even is worth, but and it comes down to it, it's not unlike the Taylor Hall move where you just, if if a player has a no move and they want to go to one place, you don't have that much leverage as a team. The Blackhawks would say, well, if they're not going to give us more than this, then we're getting nothing for it. And at this point, we just rather have Pat Kane or we'd rather trade Pat Kane and have this second and fourth or whatever ends up being. And it's, a, I believe it's conditional. So whatever happens with the Rangers, I think they're going to lose in the first round. But I, I think, though, it's not unreasonable from the Rangers side, though. I don't like I've I've said before all my wariness is with him as a player, but because he wanted to go to New York, the trade was in the Rangers' favor. Like I just kind of laid out there, so the Rangers didn't have to give up too much. Kane's not now that his hip appears to be a little bit better. He's m- closer to the guy he was last year, which is not terrible, but not worth a lot of money than the guy he was for a big stretch of this year, which was one of the worst regular players in the NHL. Again, he's much better than that. Now there's been a lot of stupid arguments about Kane that I don't care to get it, you know, dialed into. So I'll just say this. It's not crazy from the Rangers perspective. And you might be wondering the Rangers, is it smart for them to give up assets? albeit not too many assets, but still assets to get Kane and Tarasenko in a year where they're, they have a decent chance of being the third place team in their division, having to have uh, not have home ice advantage in a series against New Jersey before they, if they win that, they face Carolina in all likelihood. If they win that, they face Boston or even Tampa or Toronto or something like that. Is it worth it? And I say, yeah, because they're old. I you might not think they're old, but they kind of are because Panarin is not getting any younger. Sabanaje is not getting any younger. Chris Kreider is not either. Of course, there are young guys. I'm not talking about the kids line that sucks. But like Keandre Miller, not bad. Adam Fox, great defenseman and his prime. Shesterkin, great goalie. Going forward, it's not the worst idea to build a you know a team around Fox and Shesterkin, and you also have Miller there. But they're getting old, and like the guys they drafted first and second overall aren't good. And they're yeah. not really worth be having. That's another thing, I guess. They have to make trades like this because those guys suck and it, they contributed nothing in a year where they got every break in the playoffs. Uh, so yeah, that's, I think it's not unreasonable for the Rangers. I, I don't know if there's any other agree. trades that uh, really stand out. Uh, well, I want to ask, I mean, with regard to the Rangers, do you consider them, I guess I should say, how much closer do you consider them to Boston and Carolina after making a move like this? Not that close. Multiple. I, well, I, I should say multiple moves. I mean, we know how good, yeah. obviously, Kane and Panarin were together. Tarasenko and him have some chemistry. It adds to their power play depth now, too, and their scoring depth. They have one of the best goalies in the world. You don't think it really moves the needle that much? It moves it a little bit, and it's worth the shot, I would say, considering their age. Uh, but I just think, like, shit, I still think New Jersey's better. But you have Shesterkin, who can take over a series – I'm I'm more confident he can than let's say Vitek Vanacek or or Fred Anderson or I mean really anyone in the East. But oh, eh, Vasilevsky still I still trust Vasilevsky. But yeah, I, I don't I don't feel insanely confident about them and their chances this year, but they have a chance. They really do, so I think they should go for it. Like they're in that top six. Both the top six in the East and the top six in the NHL, funnily enough. Uh and then 
Yeah, I don't know. What other trades are really that interesting? Uh, we talked about Tampa giving up way too much. And and that's kind of actually, that's another th- thing now that I think about it. Uh, New Jersey, New York is an almost guaranteed series, as is Tampa, Toronto. And Tampa and Toronto have both given up so much, one of them has to lose in the first. New York, New Jersey, same thing. But I think New Jersey, that stings a little less. It would sting for sure. But it would sting a little less if they lost in the first round, considering they have Timo Meyer back. They have everyone back pretty much, and they're just going to be really good next year. And they might have a chance to upgrade in that. Who knows? I don't know what they want to do in the offseason. But yeah, I don't know. Is there another trade that I that we should uh, talk about? I don't I don't know. I mean, the rest mm-hmm. of them kind of speak for themselves. Yeah, I mean, they really do, you know. Edmondson, that's I forgot about the Edmondson. Oh, yeah, okay. we let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, great. What awesome trade. Awesome. Because trade. the Ed- Edmonton going for it, they have to go for it. Blah, blah, blah. McDavid It's going to leave all this shit. Here's the thing. The West sucks. The West is the worst that I've ever seen the East. The conferences have flipped to a ridiculous degree. And Colorado's really come on recently, so maybe Colorado's just going to walk to another finals appearance. But maybe not. Who knows? How much do you trust their goaltending? Not a lot. I mean, same question for the Golden Knights. For sure. For sure. So it's like. We don't know how long Logan Thompson's out, too. I mean, we're hearing now that they're going to be looking into trading for Jonathan Quick. Yep. And then, I mean, also adding to this, too, because I misspoke before. Ekholm is actually signed for three years after this year at 6.25 mil per. That's a great deal. And they only give up one first. So look at the rest of the the teams that are potentially going to make the playoffs in the West. LA doesn't have a goalie. LA is going to go to the playoffs with Phoenix Copley. That's a real thing they're going to do. Yep. Dallas, obviously. Da- I mean, Dallas is they're good, solid. They're questions still. Yeah. They're not like, I mean, forward wise, it's like, okay, you have Robertson who's incredible. Pavelski is, uh, you know, ageless wonder. And Rupins is, uh, you know, a solid future Hall of Fame type guy, Thank according you. to some. No, Thank he's you. really solid. Like he's a thirty goal scorer. Other than that, though, it's not that all that. I mean, Jamie Ben is better than he's been in recent years, but him and Sagan aren't what they used to be. Right. So it's they're just. I just feel like they're really solid. They haven't actually. I'm surprised they haven't made any really big moves at all. Yeah, but they're kind of up against the cap, right? So they they maybe oh, had some fair. had some trouble laundering the money, but. Mm. Yeah, so it, but uh, whatever, they're interesting. But like, damn, yeah, Edmonton really could do this thing. Like, Seattle has been very lucky to get where they are, and they probably are more like a wild card team that's going to lose in the first round. This is the year. This is really the year. And I think yep. Minnesota sucks. I don't know why I picked them to win the cup. So Colorado's still the favorite to me, but Edmonton might have moved in the second place. Or at least they're fighting for with Dallas for that. And they need, boy, oh boy, do they need Stuart Skinner to like hold it down for them. Oh boy, Jack I just got Campbell way more nervous sucked. about what I just said. Yeah, yeah Jack Campbell, Campbell has been horrible for them. Uh, Stuart Skinner, you're our only hope. <laughs> well, Taylor, it's been a lot of fun getting to go through both the Sabres moves and lack thereof and the insane amount of moves that have happened around the league. So do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share with regard to the Sabres or any other activity that has happened, maybe happening over the next 24, 48 hours? Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate the Tuesday's game against Columbus got canceled, but what are you going to do? The, oh, I didn't even realize there was one that was scheduled in the first place. Hmm. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about either, actually. No, I just had a feeling something bad was going to happen. <laughs> um, uh, no, that's pretty much it. Uh, I just would kindly request that, um, Connor McDemon stay, stop scoring a little bit so Tage can stay within 10 goal lead. That'd be nice. 
for yeah. me and Tage. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any recommendations? I recommend people go to Thin Man Brewery on Friday night, baby. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to mention that we forgot is kind of a lighthearted thing. So we mentioned our old music teacher, Mr. Head, died this week. And we we said a little bit last episode about it. But I wanted to say, like, my favorite thing from time and that people don't believe could actually happen in high school uh, involved Mr. Head, which was at the end of, like, an assembly, we would be, you know, all in our auditorium or whatever. And we we're supposed to go back to class. And then everyone would start chanting, we want head. And Mr. <laughs> head would come with a, a guitar and he'd be like, we'd sing the fight song. And that was just acceptable. Awesome. That was acceptable. That was a cool thing. Really cool guy. Um, but I thought you were going to recommend Ant-Man to all the people. Do we want to do this right now? <laughs> do we want it. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Then. These giant ants have come into my apartment. They're making me do it. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, Taylor and I went and saw Ant-Man together. And as everybody knows, who is a regular listener to the show. I think it's fair to say that I'm a little bit more of the Marvel optimist as compared to Taylor, not so much. And this was one of those times where I walked out of the theater after seeing it opening night and was really feeling like a little bit let down. I mean, Jonathan Majors was great. I think Kang is going to be great. But the rest of the movie just... I mean, the effects were horrible. Like, it, it was... That was maybe one of the most noticeable fucking spy kids looking green screen shit that I had seen in a Marvel movie in a bit. And... You know, with every MCU movie that's come out in phase four and as we're now into phase five, some have obviously been better than others. But I think there's generally like redeeming qualities from each movie that are like, well, this part was good or like this aspect of it was good, though. With this, Jonathan Majors, yes, was great. But there was just (sighs) Paul Rudd being like one of the most likable dudes on Earth can only take you so far, I think. And there were just. I was surprised that uh, spoiler alert stop listening. If you have not seen it yet and want to see it, I was surprised that nobody substantial died. Like I was really expecting Hank to die. Like Michael Douglas literally said, the only way he's going to come back for Ant-Man for now is if they kill his character off. I was surprised. <laughs> That's kind of a spoiler Well, for, <laughs> for everyone. Yeah. I mean, really though, You know, there was like I was obviously not surprised at all that the the leads all stayed alive. And like, obviously, they weren't going to kill off Paul Rudd's daughter in it. Well, I sorry, excuse me, Scott Lang's daughter, Cassie Lang, which really didn't love her performance either. Like, I feel like a good Lord, what the hell? A few people pointed it out that like she could not act in like the serious scenes at all. Yeah at all like it was it was not good and i'm like i said i mean if you've ever listened to taylor and i talk about marvel show or marvel shows or movies before like i at least find like some silver linings in there with this i again it's just like well kang is gonna be cool jonathan majors is cool it sets up some stuff with the post-credit scenes the post-credit scenes were like better than the actual movie was like it was were more enjoyable to me are you forgetting them 
There was one with a bunch of Jonathan Majors. Correct. And then the other one was the one that's leading into the second season of Loki. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was something. Which that's kind of cool because I think that's going to be really good. And it shows that Loki and Owen Wilson are going to do their buddy cop thing. Mm. But, and also a cool thing too, there's something that I saw that there's one theory that I think kind of makes sense. And I think it lines up with how the comics went, even though the MCU frequently strays away from the comics. Not that I'm saying it's a bad thing or whatever, or a good thing, but that the Kang that they see in the post credit scene is the one that gets obliterated at the end of Quantumania. That when he leaves it, like he travels back in time then because that's what happens is that Kang loses and then he's able to time travel. He goes back to like the twenties and is causing chaos there. But yeah, I mean also too, like Kang is talking about killing Avengers. He's like, Oh, are you Thor? Like he fought Thor and he's alive still. And you mean to tell me that Scott Lang and hope, are, are going to be able to take that dude down. Who's just murking cruise of adventures across the multiverse. Like, come on. Yeah. I Pretty stupid. Pretty stupid. Uh, yeah. I really like Catherine Newton as an actor before this, but I guess I'd never seen her anything where she had to be too dramatic. Uh, and the thing is the MCU drama, it's not uh, the, the highest level of like, you know, Oscar award winning acting. It's like the very basic, uh, dramatic acting. It drastically changes a movie to movie, like in True. terms of like the actors that you have, and also the writing too. Because there's some movies that maybe they have their flaws with script or storytelling or whatever, but the actors in them are able to still captivate in those serious scenes. But also the MCU, I think it's fair to say, has a tone problem too. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Like, you see the, the recent Thor movie, right? The the horror, uh, horror slash colorful comedy slash cancer movie like yeah that's a taika thing too though but yeah i know it's i think with this ant-man so yeah first the Catherine newton thing very noticeable uh still like her and she should probably just do other stuff like she should do more movies like freaky and blockers but she um there's a scene with uh i don't know the big stupid head guy and she's like stop being a dick yeah 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 so it's already here. He looks ridiculous, <laughs> but like, she's just like, stop being a dick. And he's like, stop being a dick. Can I do that? And I'm like, whatever it works somehow. And it's like, what the, like, what, what is that? Like that guy was never like, stop being a dick. Like it's so it's <laughs> insanely bad acting from both of them. It's well, it's not insane bad acting from him. He's just a gigantic head. How is he supposed to be good at acting? Mm-hmm. But like, it's super bad. The whole scene is annoying, but like just what's behind it is like this Darren Cross guy was like a bad fella or whatever in the first movie. Uh, he's just a carbon copy of the much better Jeff Bridges character in the original Iron Man. Yep. Well, like he was just a bad guy, went down to the quantum realm, became a bad guy that works for a, uh, a villain. He's not like redeemable. And he would, I don't know, I've, I just the fact that someone treated him poorly wouldn't make him change his mind about whatever he was doing. And then, so that was, that was almost like, I can't believe they even put, tried to pull that shit. But I also felt like in general, this Cassie character, she had this bewildering morality that's what i would call it and i think the mcu does that because uh the people that run these movies are demons and they don't understand what actual morality is so aunt they're may. like I, aunt yeah may. that's exactly what i was gonna say what like aunt may and the, the terrible spider-man movie that no that everyone 
except me. Everyone loves it. I, except it me. wasn't horrible. <laughs> but my God. Well, like the the Aunt May thing, like in that movie, she, she's a nothing character in in the other movies. After uh, the wonderful Rosemary Harris in in the original Spider Man, and people had the audacity to compare these. Listen, performances. do not However, Marissa Tomei. Who the hell? It's not her fault. Are? She didn't write her character. Mm. But like, not nothing in the first two movies that she's in, except like her whole character is. Uh, John Favreau being like, uh, woo, gah. And then she, so then she just like, actually, I'm the moral center of Peter's universe, even though he was hiding this whole thing from me for a while. And now uh, these other bad guys came in from another dimension and it could threatens the very reality of the multiverse. But we actually have to help them be better for some reason. <laughs> That's more important that we help them be better than it is that everything else is stable, which is kind of like, uh, the beginning of in Ant Man when Cassie's like, we got to help these random people we just met, even though we don't know where we are or how long it's been or what our lives are like out there or anything. It just, I, I think you could almost kind of get into an interesting critique if you had Cassie with like a modern, like maybe social media obsessed type of, um, uh, I don't know, storyline, like uh, with a need to help people and maybe. It's just there's an interesting path there. Well, and they tried to tease that in the beginning where she's arrested for like helping protesters or whatever it was. That uh, made way more sense than <laughs> what what they got to later. Well, and I think the thing too, specifically going back to Spider-Man with the whole morality thing, is that with every other character except for Norman Osborne, it would have made sense for her to have that approach because with like you know. Uh, Octavius he literally it was like a condition because of his like the chip being fried in the back of his neck with Jamie Foxx's character it was because of like bodily afflictions it was like the same thing for I'm forgetting the scientist name the one who turned Dr. Connor yeah Dr. Connor like same thing for the sand dude like all of these people you know whereas with Norman Osborn is just like, and obviously they don't know this, of course, but well, Dr. Strange, I was obviously very correct about this, but like of all the villains, like that dude has like a, the, the devil living inside of him. Yeah. And there's a whole, I think they did very well in that original Spider-Man movie to kind of make it hard to know where Norman Osborn starts and stops and the green goblin starts. Cause he's exactly. actually kind of an awful guy from the beginning. Um, but I think an interesting thing I heard is that Doctor Strange was actually supposed to come out before that Spider-Man movie, but Sony – well, Strange got pushed, obviously, because of COVID. Uh, Sony actually controls when Spider-Man movies comes out. They're the distributors. They're, that's the only one, obviously, of the MCU that D- Disney doesn't have the choice of when it comes out. They have to work with Sony and do what Sony says on that front. So Sony was going to do that first, so they had to basically rewrite the beginning of that Spider-Man movie, which I wouldn't have liked it either probably either way but it would have made more sense because the beginning as it stands now is you kind of question what's up with dr strange don't you like he's just like like it's just so stupid and he's like yeah we'll just do this thing like it's not even an overconfidence thing like he's so before that so protective of like his his responsibilities and it's whatever right. it's it's a comic book movie but it's just like huh that's that's why that's part that's my whole critique with the movie is like why is this all happening and I mean that both from plot wise and in the general world, but yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. But anyway, back to Ant Man. Uh, 
all these movies look like shit now because they overworked their VX, VFX artists. But I think it's important to remember it. The, it's not just digital effects. These movies, they have never, ever put an emphasis on making these movies look good. Not just from like, yeah, the digital effects look good. And let's say like Avengers Endgame, you don't notice these obvious things like, wow, that looks fake. But it kind of is a little bit, it's always been, since the beginning, it's always been CGI heavy, which I don't prefer. Uh, I give you a little bit more practical, but there's also the issue of they don't care uh, how it's lit or what colors are used in the background or anything. That's why these movies are so gray. They've never yeah. put any effort into that at all. So that's another thing. That's not something a lot of people care about, I don't think. But if you do care about it, you can't miss it. Well, and it's like, listen, we're, we're talking about Disney here. And I mean – it's horrible how you hear the stories about how they're overworking these artists, like the the visual effects people. But it's just like, dude, you're Disney. If you have tight deadlines, just hire more people. These movies make you like a billion dollars. Hire more people. Yeah. Increase these teams, like give more support and more resources so that it looks better. So that more people like your fucking movies. <laughs> yeah. And I think is, isn't, aren't they mostly outsourced? Like, they don't they're not yeah well i know like for like the mandalorian for example so season 2 finale luke skywalker shows up obviously horrible 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 visual effects in recreating his face then dude on youtube makes a video saying this is how i would have done it it looks amazing and what do they do they hire that guy smart so I, I just, again, like, it, and the thing that even is more perplexing about it, too, is, like, they, like, poked fun at it in She-Hulk. I like the She-Hulk series, personally. I don't know if that's, like, a hot take or not. I actually enjoyed it overall. I mean, of course, there's things that weren't good, but I thought, by and large, it was it was a fun series. It was different, and she could end up being a really cool character. But they poke fun at, it, at that in the finale, that, like, they couldn't show something because they already had sent their artists to work on the black Panther movie. And it's like, it's, it's kind of messed up a little bit that you're like joking about it in that context. Like it's one thing if you're like poking fun at yourself when you're not actually doing something horrible, but to then do it in this like jest way when you yeah. are doing the horrible thing. That's eh? the Deadpoolification of, uh, of our media. It's not good. It's definitely not a good thing. No, not at all. It's yeah, that's that's annoying. Yeah. So folks, if you want to watch like a good movie, I don't know what to tell you. I've seen a lot of movies recently. Should I say any of these are good? Uh let's see. Hmm. I saw Cocaine Bear. You know what? What'd you think? It wasn't, it wasn't too long. It was okay. It's pretty funny. How long was it? Like hour and a half? Yeah, basically. Nice. That's not yeah, bad. it's pretty funny. Uh let's see. I mean it was you know, it was decently pretty funny. Ray Liotta's last movie. Man, do I love Ray Liotta. That's, in fact, going to be my recommendation. Everyone's seen the good, you know, Goodfellas with Ray Liotta. His, probably his most famous movie, of course. But what I think would be, would be missing from the Ray Liotta, um, the discussion with his, let's say, extended obituary from his actual death last year to his final movie coming out. And the movie very – the very strange ending of the movie of it <laughs> just – being about a cocaine bear and having like kind of a scare ending and then just boom directly to this film is dedicated to Ray Liotta. Very strange. 
But hey, Ray Liotta is in Cocaine Bear. Yeah, yeah, shit, he's in the trailer. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think what's missing from this is the end of his career, which is, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. But I think he was really funny at the end of his career. And you might have seen the like the viral clip that's gone around since he died where he was on Watch What Happens Live. And he has to take the random audience questions that people never answer. And are like, he's like, uh, who is the most overrated actor from, I don't know, some decade in the past? And he just, no hesitation, was like, probably Clint Eastwood in the most like I've smoked for 35 years voice possible. <laughs> and people in the audience are like, oh, and he's like, oh, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, love that. Yeah. So he, but he was genuinely funny in some of these movies. So I just want to recommend some of them. He's hilarious in Hubie Halloween, um, which is surprisingly actually pretty funny movie on Netflix. Uh, Adam Sandler movie. It feels way more like a 90s Adam Sandler movie than a 2010s Adam Sandler movie. Great time. Watch it around Halloween time. Leo is pretty funny in it. He's coming and to Buffalo. Did you see? Yeah. Yeah. That should be cool, actually. I, I might go to that, honestly. I kind of want to. Yeah. Um, and then he's also in No Sudden Move, which is a Soderbergh movie on HBO. It's kind of a heist-ish movie, but without really a heist. It's a heist-adjacent movie, I guess I would say. A lot of good actors in that. Benicio Del Toro, Don Cheadle, Julia Fox, Karen Culkin. Obviously, like I mentioned, Ray Liotta. David Harbour. A bunch of other ones I'm not remembering. Matt Damon. God, wow. that was awesome. Um, just really insanely fun movie, but he's a terrible guy in it. No sudden move. And is that on Netflix, you said? HBO. HBO. Okay, cool. He's uh like a terrible guy who's but is nonetheless very funny. A very funny performance at least. And then in the Many Saints of Newark, he's not meant to be funny at all, but his <laughs> I won't spoil it, but it's very funny. I can't recommend watching the movie, but if you do, <laughs> Ray Liotta's whole thing is Did very you really funny. not like that movie? Many Saints of Newark. Yeah. No, it was bad. Oh, I'm surprised. Interesting. I was surprised I seen too. It, but I was surprised they jammed three movies into one. Oh God. <laughs> Someday I'll go off on that for a little bit when we're in cool. a dull period. Uh, and then is there another one that I should be mentioning? No, nah, I mean he's fine in Cocaine Bear. He's decently funny. I just think he had a funny presence at the end of his life. So he was still doing some okay stuff there at the end. So if you want to check any of that out, it's pretty good. Nice. And if you haven't seen Goodfellas, folks, what are you waiting for? Do it. Get on it. All right. Well, with that being said, everybody, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites and whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. Check out all of our fellow shows across both platforms and follow both of the presenters on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We could find us Straight Up Sabres. Also, wherever you are currently listening, make sure you are subscribed to us or following us. And we very much appreciate it if you drop us a, a rating, maybe leave a little comment. Very, very much would appreciate it. Last but not least, our sponsors. We love DraftKings, folks. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And Thin Man Brewery, come hang out with us Friday night. We'll be there hanging out all night. Going to be a great time. Got a couple of great beer drops happening this week remodeled thin man gonna be a ton of fun hope you all can make it out if you do come out from listening to us talk about this come find us and say what's up we'd love to hang out with you and get a drink so we'll be back with a brand new episode on monday we'll be covering the rest of the trade deadline and any of the sabers moves or lack thereof but have a great rest of your week a great weekend this has been straight up sabers <laughs>